Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. When Jesus comes into our lives, it's like taking over a house that's in disrepair. When we're born again, we're essentially giving King Jesus the title deed to to our home, our house. But now every room, you see, is going to need to be transformed. Every room of our heart and our mind is going to need to be repaired by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, so that we can produce fruit for our Master. You see, there are unwanted guests that need to be booted out. There are rooms that need to be gutted, cleaned, walls that need to be knocked down in some cases. That's how our lives are. And that work is going to continue until King Jesus comes again. So I want to say to you one thing this morning as we begin. I'm not finished yet, and neither are you. Church is not a place for people who have arrived, because no one's arrived. And the Word of God says that the good work that God has started in us will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. That's why we're here this morning. The topic that I'm going to be talking on is exceptionally substantial this morning. It's heavy. And I want to just begin by prefacing what I'm about to say, that um, your pastor right here on the stage is a, a regular class sinner like everybody else. The cross has leveled the ground for all of us. We all come the same way. We all come with the same need in our heart. And I'm an imperfect communicator. And so uh, if anything I say this morning comes across as like hits you sideways and you're like, I want clarity on that, I just ask you to come and talk to me afterwards. I'd be happy to do that. I'm an imperfect communicator. I'm going to do the best I can because this is the holy word of God and his truth I'm trying to deliver this morning. I'm going to be talking about marriage today. And I'm going to start by telling you a little bit of of my story, our story, my wife and I. Dorley and I met in our freshman year back in college in the 1900s when uh, dinosaurs roamed the earth and there was no internet. True story. I was immediately attracted to her because she's beautiful, and she was attracted to me because I had great hair. You wouldn't know that to be true, but it's true. Our relationship grew immediately out of our common love for music. Actually, we got to know each other on a tour bus as we were in a touring choir together, and so we spent hours and hours all over North America touring and a lot of quality time getting to know each other. We dated for all four years of college, which included one dramatic breakup, after our first year, and I bear the full, full blame for that because, you see, I had a man's body, but I had rather the mind of a 12-year-old prepubescent boy, and so some of you know how that goes, uh, but she never gave up on me. We both came from strong Christian homes. Uh, both of us saw a godly marriage modeled for us in our homes, but you know what? To learn how to love a woman is really, really hard, and some of you women are wanting to elbow the man beside you right now, but it goes both ways, Right? We got married the summer after we graduated, and we've been married 24 years. The Lord has given us three uh, amazing children. We've lived in three provinces in Canada. We've lived in three states here in the USA. We've moved 13 times. We've dealt with mental illness in our home. We've had job loss, financial lack, 
We've experienced the betrayal of close friends, but through it all, God has sustained us in our marriage in the highs and lows. And that's just the stuff external to us. Then there's the stuff in our marriage, hurt feelings and misunderstandings at times, sleepless nights, life-threatening illness, mistakes and sin, differences of opinion, and through unmet expectations. You see, marriage is a union of two sinners who are good forgivers. Two people who both understand their own brokenness, and instead they're going to fight for each other instead of against each other. And we need God's grace and his mercy every day of our lives. Marriage only works when it is centered on Jesus and on serving each other and on serving others. Jesus is the reason that we have a good marriage and all glory to him for it. But it's not a perfect marriage. I wouldn't want to have anybody think any different. We have our moments just like anybody else. But we know what's important. And we work through our junk with Jesus at the center. So we're in a series right now here at MVF. It's called It Ain't Working." And for many of you in the room today, marriage ain't working. The pain of a broken marriage is surely one of the biggest heartaches that many people will experience in this life. And it's very common. But I would say to you, we need to get back to marriage God's way. And for most of us, our ideas about marriage were formed even before we came to Christ. And even for those of us who do know Christ... Our thinking has been influenced by a godless culture. And as a result, we find this, this chasm that exists between God's standard and his plan and where we are, where we live, right? There's a gap there between God's perfect plan and standard and, and where we live. The Bible lays out God's expectation for humanity. It's not a mystery. The Bible explains that we live in a broken, fallen world, which is the consequence of our sin. So by default, everyone in this room has a broken relationship with God. Everyone in this room, by default, has a messed up view of God. And it should come as no surprise then that the broken relationship we have with our creator is going to extend to every horizontal relationship we have as well, including the most intimate one of all, which is marriage. But in order to talk about marriage this morning, we have to deal with two underlying issues. And the first of these issues is gender. Gender is God's intentional design. It's part of being made in the image of God, actually. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God made us in his image, male and female. He created us. Uh, Pastor Don spoke about that last week. But actually, it's our uh, maleness and femaleness together that expresses the composite image of of the image of God. Uh, Because only in healthy relationships with one another as men and women in society do we understand the full scope of this wonder that God has made us in his image, in his likeness. In other words, if you have a a room full of just men, you're going to be missing something of the fullness of the image of God in us. And if you have a room full of just women, you're going to be missing something of that fullness. It's when we're together, male and female both express something of the image of God. Gender is the basic defining frame of our humanity. God created two genders. You are what you were born. You are what your chromosomes say you are. No one should ever seek to change their gender nor approve of anyone in this tragic and misguided decision. Because transgenderism is part of Satan's lying strategy, trying to confuse and redefine humanity by whispering lies in our ears that we can become our own God. We can do whatever we want with our own bodies. We can make gender be whatever we want it to be. And we can throw away God's intent in giving us the binary gender that we were born with. This is spiritual warfare. I want you to understand that carefully. 
We know that the devil seeks to steal, kill, and destroy those who bear the image of God. Did you know that Satan hates God? Hates everything that God has ever done? Anything that God says is good, Satan is going to go and say it's bad. If God says it's evil, the devil is going to say it's good and vice versa. And so Satan hates those who are made in the image of God. So there's, a, there's this cosmic war going on. Satan's plan is to attack humanity. He doesn't care about attacking the animals or the cosmos. He puts all of his attention into humanity, trying to disrupt us. And in 2023, the year that which, in which we live, gender confusion is one of his leading targets. But I need you to hear me loud and clear this morning. When we're dealing with people who are, are transgender or homosexuals, we are dealing with real people with real value and dignity made in the image of God. They are not beyond the reach of Christ's saving gospel and the mercy of Jesus to heal, forgive, and redeem their broken lives, any different than the rest of us. We are not to be about hatred. We are not to be about mocking or treating these people like dirt. And honestly, frankly, some of us in this room need to repent and, of our pride on this because I've heard people, sometimes even in this church, use condescending or derogatory or ungodly language about these people. And I'm telling you, on the authority of God's word, it's not okay. And it needs to stop in this house. Because MVF is a church that is open to everyone. Three of you. Amen? We exist to point people to Jesus. You've heard that before somewhere, right? We point people to Jesus and his good news, and we let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God bring conviction of sin and do the life change. It's not up to us to change people's lives. Only God can do that. My job as a pastor is simply to preach the truth of God unapologetically, without compromise, but with humility. Never in a condescending way, because we all come to Christ, myself included, messed up, broken, victims of Satan's deceptions. When we come to Christ, we repent of our sin. He washes us, and we receive this glorious salvation that he purchased in his own body on the cross. And that gift of forgiveness and eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit is open to everyone, no matter the color of your skin, where you're from, what sins you've committed, how confused you might be about gender and sexuality. God's grace and love are available to all, and his blood was shed to reconcile sinners back to God, period. Everyone in this room, we come to the cross the same way. Now it's true, most of us in this room are fed up with what the culture and media and politics and our school system are pounding down our throats. And we should be rightfully angry about that. But at a personal level, when we're dealing with people, we need to treat people the way Jesus did. He never shied away in talking about sin, yet he also went out of his way to eat with and be with and welcome sinners. Why? Because he wanted to lead them back to God. And you can't do that if you're standing outside throwing stones at them. It's the kindness of Christ that leads people to repentance. Not bludgeoning people with the truth. Sinners who are ready for salvation already know they are sinners because the Holy Spirit has been doing that work in their hearts. It is the Holy Spirit of God who brings conviction of sin, not us. And so a simple proclamation of God's word is sufficient. Because a self-righteous tone from Christians has never brought anyone to salvation. I hope you hear my heart on this, church. That's the first issue we need to deal with before we get to marriage. The second one is sexuality. 
And sex is a gift from a loving God to be cherished and enjoyed in its right place. And sex has two functions as given to us by God. One is for the mutual pleasure of a husband and wife. The second is for the procreation of babies. God's design and intent is that both of these purposes should only rightly happen within the loving safety and the faithful permanence of a marriage relationship. That's God's plan. Yet we all know too well that sex can be used to bring about great harm. In fact, the Bible is explicit in many passages about numerous forms of sex and sexual abuse that are displeasing to God. And I don't have time to go into all the categories of sin that the Bible describes, but I can tell you this. Sex is like fire. When fire is in the fire pit or in the stove, it it serves a great function and it brings about great uh, goodness for us. But when it gets out of the controlled environment, it becomes terribly destructive. It is a terror. And I can say this about fire in the same way that it's like sexual sin. Fire is never satisfied. Fire never burns through a forest and kind of gets to a point and says, you know what, Ah, I'm kind of tired of burning stuff. I'm just going to lay back now. Fire is never satisfied. It just wants more and more. And sexual sin is the same. Sexual sin never reaches a point and says, you know what, that's, that's as far as my depravity is going to go. That's as far as I'm going to let it go. It always wants more, and it always goes deeper, and it always goes darker. It's never satisfied. But our Creator has intended for sexual, sexuality to occur only in one place, and that is in the marriage bed of a husband and wife. So I've, un- I've briefly unpacked gender and sex. There's so much more that we could say about this, but it's vital that we get this right if we're going to unpack what, what it means to, to live a godly marriage. And I want to talk about marriage now. Marriage is the foundational building block of all human society. Every web of human relationship stems from the stability of God's central relationship for human flourishing, which is marriage. You may not be married here this morning, and it may be God's will for some of you to not marry. But I want to remind you that Jesus was single, and yet he was the most complete and fully functioning human that ever walked the earth. Marriage does not define you. Neither does singleness. If you're a child of God, Jesus is your identity, period. Now, marriage is God's idea. It's for the benefit of family. It's for the benefit of society. It was instituted by God himself, and marriage is holy. Holy simply means that which is entirely pure in God's eyes, that which is set apart as God's special possession. And we know that marriage normally produces children, which are never to be seen as an inconvenience, but rather a sacred trust given to us by God. But we increasingly live in a self-focused society where people are starting families later and later in lives and having fewer children. But the Word of God has had this right all along. You need to understand this. Biblically speaking, a large family with many children is a good and desirable state. God told humans at the very beginning of creation to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And he said the same thing after the great flood. He told Noah and his families to to reproduce and multiply and fill the earth. He said it again in the prophets. God loves children and he loves large families. And so we don't need to buy into this demonic propaganda of anyone on this earth who claims that the earth is overpopulated. God has made a planet that could probably sustain twice the current population. He has never set a limit on human procreation. Only a God-hating society would ever force population control and encourage abortion. Here's what God says in Malachi chapter 2. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? 
godly children from your union. So you see, God is the sole proprietor of marriage. He invented marriage. It has a purpose. And he alone is fit to define sexual morality according to his infinite wisdom and goodness. Um, By the way, he's never asked for our input on how this should go. Did you know that? God has never convened a council of humans to say, what do we think about marriage and gender and sexuality? We should have votes on this. He has never asked our opinion about this. He has decreed it in himself. By the way, the government also has no authority over marriage. And I need to be abundantly clear this morning that it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court of the United States says about marriage or what false churches decide about marriage. The reality is homosexual marriage is not and never will be marriage. You see, in God's eyes and and in no, uh, no circumstance should any Christian ever condone someone in this sin. The Bible says it is an abomination. And so in the culture that we live in, we must unfortunately be very clear that when we're talking about marriage, we're talking about one man and one woman together for life. That is God's definition. He decided that. It's God's sovereign right to establish that. And his anger will fall on all who abuse and try to change what he has established. We live in a country where half of all marriages fail. And marriage is sometimes seen as disposable, something that we can discard if it's not working for us. But that's not how it should be. In fact, Jesus said divorce is only ever given to us as a concession to our hard hearts. Marriage is a covenant made before Almighty God. It is sacred, and it is supposed to be till death do us part. Go back to Malachi for just a moment. Chapter 2 finishes verse 15. He says, So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. This is hard truth, folks. Hard truth. God is not pleased with the way that we as society have treated marriage so lightly and we divorce so easily. Or even treat marriage as some trivial accessory we can add to our romance if we feel like it. Cohabitation is selfish and destructive to society. The rate of relational breakup among people who put sex before marriage is staggering. In the olden days, they used to call this putting the cart before the horse, right? But the world will only ever function right when we get back to God's plan and design. We have to build on God's truth to build a firm foundation. We sing songs about this all the time in our worship. I'm going to build my life on the firm foundation of Jesus' truth. Because if you listen to culture, if you listen to Oprah, if you listen to government, social media, or your own feelings, you'll get it wrong. And there's nothing but heartache and ruined lives that await you as you endlessly chase your own happiness. We hurt ourselves and we hurt our families when we choose to abandon God's clear teaching on all these matters of gender and sexuality and marriage. And our country right now is staggering under the mounting consequences of kicking God out of the schoolroom, out of the courtroom, and out of the bedroom. God has pronounced his blessing on marriage. He has said from the very beginning, as he did with all of creation, it is very good. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Marriage is honorable in all, and the bedroom is to be a place of sacred and exclusive sexual enjoyment for the husband and the wife. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Do you have trouble thinking of God and sex kind of in the same 
category, same sentence. Can you as a married couple give thanks to God for this gift he has given? You see, for many of us in this room, we have compartmentalized our lives to the point that we think of sex as something that is shameful, it's dirty, it's secretive, and somehow detached from our relationship with God. That's a lie of the devil. And he uses that lie to destroy marriages and prevent intimacy. I want to tell you something. My wife and I many times have thanked God for this gift that he has given us. Because sex is to be understood as a sacred and holy act that is mutual, loving, and dignified for both people. And in the marriage context, God smiles upon it. You need to know that. We're taking back some kingdom ground this morning. Did you know that? We're going into enemy territory in this message. I hope you sense that. A little quiet in here right now. It's okay. These are hard things. And when God's truth comes to us, it's going to strike us a little bit sideways because we're so used to not thinking that way. I'm going to expose a great lie of the devil here this morning. Another one. And young people in this room, I hope you listen really careful to what I'm about to say. Because Satan tempts people to have sex before marriage. And then once they get married, he tries to turn them into enemies so that sex disappears until there's nothing left to the marriage but hurt and anger and resentment and usually infidelity. And the children always pay the price when a marriage ends. And by the way, that's one of the reasons that God forbids sex before marriage. Because sex clouds the issues that you need to deal with in a relationship before you decide this is a person who's a good choice to spend the rest of my life with. You see, you can overlook almost any flaw in your partner so long as the sex is coming in hot and heavy. But in marriage, there will be less and less intimacy if you haven't dealt with the real issues of heart character. And so I urge you, young people, wait and have sex for marriage only. Look beyond physical attraction. Look deep for the person who has the right heart, who's chasing God like you are, because God blesses sexual relations only within marriage. My wife and I were both virgins when we were married, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm so grateful that we obeyed God's instructions because we'll never be tempted to compare each other to former sexual partners because there have never been any. And I don't say that to shame anyone in this room. We all fall short of God's standard. In fact, in all of these matters surrounding marriage, sexuality, and gender, we need two things. We need grace and we need truth. Grace, because I too am broken. I too am a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. I don't always do marriage right. And I also need God's divine power to overcome natural sinful desires and give me victory over them. We also need God's grace because many of you come from broken and blended families or divorced families. And we all fall short of God's intent. That is not to condemn anyone here this morning. We come with the brokenness that we have And we deal with the situation at hand and God's grace and mercy and healing and redemption come in and give us hope. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is always about rescuing us from our poor choices and giving us hope when we feel like hope is gone. I know that this morning I'm talking to over half of you who have gone through a divorce. And there is no condemnation or shame that we want to heap on you. We simply want to uphold God's standard and hope that in your next generation you can see a change that will prevent them from this kind of pain. We also need grace because many of us in this room are struggling with hard marriages. Marriage is hard work because healthy marriage is a battle against our own pride and selfishness, always. But it's worth it. We need God's grace. But we also need truth. 
It can't all just be grace and, and it's okay, we're going to be all right. We need the truth of God's word because if we ignore God's word and simply make up gender and sex and marriage as we go by what seems good to us or what the culture tells us, we're going to harm ourselves and others with more sin. You see, God's truth comes from his loving heart. His commands are for our real good. It's not like God is some kind of cosmic killjoy up in the sky saying, how can I make people's lives miserable and give them all kinds of rules so that they have a miserable existence? No, he loves us. His laws are for our own good. The devil, the world, our own flesh, take all the things that God made to be good and twist them and distort them. And our society is unraveling today because we persist on this crash course finding any other possible configuration for marriage, sex, and gender than God's simple plan revealed in the Bible. And so the essence of true Christianity following Jesus is to bring every dark corner of our lives, all of our sinful proclivities, and all that brokenness to the cross of Jesus. We're under the authority of God. We confess them as sin. We call sin what God calls it. And it makes a change in the way that we as Christians live in our marriages. I'm going to tell you something, church. There is no room in Christian marriage for childishness, for yelling at each other, for giving each other the silent treatment. Those things have no place in a Christian marriage. And all of us need God's forgiveness. And we need to ask our spouses to forgive us too. And sometimes the hardest phrase you can ever say in marriage is, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's hard. We don't want to do that. But that's what's necessary to bring about reconciliation. Make no mistake, the issue at the root of all marital breakdown and all sexual depravity is a hard heart. It's our pride. And it's always an issue of lordship. Who is lord of my life and my body and my desires? Who is lord? Is it, is it me? Is it the culture? Is it the devil? Is it my happiness? Or is marriage supposed to be about how we, as a husband and wife, serve God better together than we could apart? These are hard issues from start to finish. Because marriage is God's training program for holiness. Two people whose natural desire is to live for themselves. But you see, in Christ, everything is new. And I believe in this room right now, this morning, there are many marriages that God wants to redeem and restore and start the healing process. Because the only way you can love your spouse right is to love God first. If you've received God's forgiveness for your sins, then you will extend that to the person you love. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4.32, be tender-hearted, be kind toward one another, even as God in Christ forgave you of your sins. Because your spouse will let you down. Your spouse will fail to anticipate your needs. Only Jesus never fails. Only God himself can fully meet the longings of the human heart. Some of you have this idea that you're going to find this superman or superwoman who's going to be your everything. And I'm going to tell you that that's idolatry. No human being is worthy of the place of honor that Jesus is in your life. Your identity is in him. And our marriage together should glorify him. Only God can satisfy the longings of a human heart. Don't put that on somebody else. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to you. I want to tell you one important key of marriage. 
Marriage is about servanthood. That doesn't sound very romantic. But it's true in practicality. It's true in reality. It's true where we live in the mundane of everyday life. Marriage is about servanthood. Marriages die when one or both people stop serving the other. Marriage is about serving the other person, even if they're not giving back in proportion the same level that you are or, or you think that there's an inequity there. In fact, staying in a hard marriage can be an act of worship to God. Have you ever thought about that? I'm not saying you should stay in an abusive situation. Don't get me wrong. If there's abuse going on in your home, get out and get safe into a safe place. But for just the general annoyances of life and the hard things of marriage, it can be an act of worship to God because it's the right thing. Marriage is worth fighting for. Not fighting again, not against each other. That's what the devil tries to do, tries to turn us into enemies of one another. That's not how it works. We're to come together and join hands and push back against the darkness. That's where the fight is. It's a spiritual battle. Marriage is a spiritual battle. One time, I had accepted a ministry position many years ago, and Dora Lee came to me after supper. And she said she wanted to wash my feet. It was such a humbling moment. But as she did it, I just thought of Jesus, what Jesus did demonstrating that she will serve the Lord and she will, you know, she'll follow me into my calling too. And I would suggest to you, friends, that if more people would wash each other's feet in marriage, we would wipe divorce off the map. And I'm not talking literal washing of feet. That might be helpful for you, and maybe that's an exercise you want to go through. But I'm talking figuratively, serving one another all the time, thinking about what is best for the other person. How can I serve you? How can I make your day go better? If we took that approach to marriage, we would wipe divorce off the map. I want to show us a scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is often quoted at marriages, and I've done a few in my day, but here's what I've learned about weddings. No one pays attention to the minister. They're, they're watching the bride and groom. The, the bride and groom are watching each other, so the things that are said by a minister irrelevant at that moment. But this is often quoted, and so let's take it in a moment of, of sobriety together here where we can actually understand God's word. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7 says this, and you can apply this to marriage. You can also apply this to any important relationship in your life. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Prophecy and speaking in unknown language and special knowledge will all become useless, but love will last forever. What I want to do this morning is lead us in a, a little bit of a directed prayer. I don't know if you notice this or not, but in this passage, it's almost like the Holy Spirit planned it. There are eight things that love is. We'll show that on the screen here. Eight things that love is and eight things that love is not. And so we can look at this and begin to make an assessment. We can ask the Holy Spirit to shine the, the truth, shine the light of truth on us and say, where have I fallen short? Where am I getting it wrong? 
Have I been patient with my spouse in the last seven days? Have I been kind? And we start going down the list and we realize, I've been making this out like this is the other person's problem and they're the problem in this marriage when actually I've got a lot of work to do. That's what this is going to bring us to. We look through this list. Have I been this to my spouse? Or have I been envious or, or boastful or proud? Have I dishonored my spouse in any way? Maybe in the way that I talk to them or talk to other people about them. That's a, that's a big problem. You know what? In Christian marriages, we should always speak of our spouses with utmost respect. We should never gripe about our spouse to any other person. Have I honored my spouse this past week? So let's take some time together. Husbands and wives, this is the time for you to maybe think about the state of your marriage. I would encourage you to take the hand of your spouse right now. Just pray through this list. If you're not married, you can still pray through this list because this applies to all human relationships. But specifically right now, we're talking about marriage. So we're going to spend a few minutes just in quiet prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to do to change and refine and build up your marriage because the solutions to marriage are right here in God's word. Can we do that for a few moments? I've brought some heavy truth this morning here. I know this has been a hard message for some of you to hear. And I want to say once again, I'm an imperfect communicator. I've done the best I can. But this is God's truth, and I'm just trying to relay the message. And so if anything I've said has, has come across to you in a, in a way that wasn't received well, I would encourage you to come and talk to me. I want to give clarity as best I can. But again, asking for grace. We all need God's grace. We all fall short. We've all sinned. The ground of the cross is level. And so we desperately need God's grace. And so we're going to offer up our marriages and our lives to God this morning in a, another song of worship. And this is a song is called Take My Life and Let It Be. And you can pray this as a married couple. Lord, take our lives and let it be set apart, consecrated for you. So let's join our hearts together. Let's seal this moment together in the spirit. Let's join our voices together.